If you are saving for a down payment to buy a home, you may be able to drop your savings goal from 20% to less than 5%. Ameris Bank offers a wide variety of loan solutions with low and no down payment options. With a quick consultation, the man, the myth, Stuart Wingo, loan officer at Ameris Bank, can help you determine which option best fits your financial needs and gets you into your dream home. If you're looking for a variety of products, competitive rates, and exceptional service, call Stuart Wingo at 803-319-1777. You can also check him out online, amerisbank.com slash Stuart Wingo. Save thousands of dollars today by simply calling Stuart Wingo at 803-319-1777. You'll be glad that you did. And now for an inside look at college sports with the men in the know, J.C. and Morgan. Here's Mike Morgan and J.C. Sherbert. And we welcome you into another installment of J.C. and Morgan. He's J.C. Sherbert of 24-7 Sports. I'm Mike Morgan of ESPN and the SEC Network. And uh, we've been hot and heavy on the guest line here. Got a very special guest. You know him and love him from college basketball on ESPN and uh, a number of other things. Never shy about an opinion on all things college athletics. He is Jay Billis, and he joins us now. Jay, how are you? I'm doing great. I hope you guys are too. Doing fantastic. Uh, I was thinking to myself the other day, I mean, in my time at ESPN, I've had a chance to, to call a game with everybody from Vitell to Seth Greenberg to Jimmy Dykes. Uh, there's only two people left on my bucket list, and one will never happen because Bill Rafferty's with another network. Uh, but uh, maybe we can have the agents get together and get, get me on one game with you at some time. I've always... Loved your work and think you do a fantastic job. We'll start right there. Well, right back at you. I'd love to do the same thing. But if, if that's your bucket list, I don't know what's in that bucket. Uh, <laughs> it sounds, a, sounds like a pretty nasty bucket. I know, right? I, I don't ask for much in life. I don't need material things. Uh, just, just give me a game with Billis and, and, and certainly drinks and cocktails with Rafferty, if not, if not a broadcast in actuality. Uh, I, I've always wanted to ask you this, you know, when it, when it comes to – we just had the final four. Is it now like back to the wonderful world of, of litigation for you? Or how do you spend the time that you're not involved in college basketball? No, I, I'm still with my law firm, but I'm, I've got a position called of counsel. So I don't really practice anymore. Uh, I, there's some business development stuff and some recruiting stuff that I do for the firm, but it's not, it's not anywhere near the workload I carried when I was practicing full time. So when the season ends, I, I get a little bit of downtime. The NBA draft is sort of the next big uh, event. And, uh, and I have my own basketball camp, which has a uh, you know, coaches um, component to it where we train young coaches and, and development uh, program and a leadership program. Uh, so that'll be coming up. So I'll, I'll, I'll be plenty busy. Uh, I'm not worried about that, but it's yeah. not, it's not as much sort of travel as I have during the regular season. Certainly. certainly. What, what was your take, you know, two years ago, uh, two seasons ago, I should say it was kind of a malaise, right? I mean, it was COVID. It was mostly empty arenas. It, it felt like college basketball light, but we just had, I thought a great bounce back season with an entertaining final four, at least two out of the three games were kind of classics. Uh, how important do you feel like this past season was for the, the health of college basketball? Well, I mean, it was, everything's important for the health of anything. I mean, in any, with the restaurant industry, all that, we got to have, we got to have normalcy to get back to, to being a healthy business again. 
but I felt like both football and basketball, football benefited from the calendar. I mean, they had empty stadiums for a, a short time, but they benefited from the calendar with regard to, to how COVID operated. And basketball, of course, being indoors is a little bit different, but this was more of a normal year for basketball. I wasn't sure that was going to happen given the way things were trending in, uh, in December. Uh, but once we got to uh, February, March, things started to ease up a little bit and it, it became a much better atmosphere. But as you know, uh, college sports um, have an advantage over pro sports. I mean, they're, they're all pro sports now, but they have an advantage in the atmospheres. Um, and, and, and that's what that's kind of what draws people in a way to college sports is the, the game atmospheres are better than, than the NFL, or the NBA. Um, the product on the, the floor or the field may not be better, but, but the truth is most people are, you know, they don't know the difference between a good game and a close game. So as long as they get close games uh, and great atmospheres, it, it's compelling. And it was really compelling uh, this year because it was gone last year. That was, that was really helpful. Let's talk about that product on the floor. Uh, I, like you, is very critical of what it was six, seven years ago before freedom of movement. It, it became just kind of a, a tractor pull. Uh, every game was every other game felt like a rock fight. And I, I know for a conference like the Big Ten, that might be a badge of honor at times. But at times it was really hard to watch. And I had friends that were lifetime college basketball fans that, that just told me, Mike, I'm, I'm losing interest. The, the quality of the game it's making me hard to be passionate about the sport. I think we've bounced back from that somewhat, but I know you've been critical about still some of the physical play, particularly inside. How do you feel about the health of the, of the game on the floor? Oh, the game's really healthy, but it's just like anything else, Mike. Once, you know, this game now, basketball, has been studied and analyzed. And by analyzed, I mean, uh, you know, statistics, analytics, high-level stuff. It's been it's been studied and analyzed beyond anyone's comprehension to, to anything that's gone before. So these coaches know exactly what it takes to, to stop a player. And not every player, not every athlete is is good enough to guard the best players from the other team. So if you're not good enough to do it on your own one on one, what are you going to do? You're going to get physical. You're going to clutch and you're going to grab, and you're going to chuck them when they cut, all that stuff. And that's what's going on. And But that's not basketball. What, what basketball is, is if it requires more than one defender to handle a player that's got the ball, you have to send another player at them. And that means if they pass out of it, you're going to have to rotate. And and can the offense keep up with those rotate? Well, that's basketball. And we've gotten away, we got away from that in the last probably year, two years where it's getting worse. It's getting to where it was seven years ago. And, uh, and look, there, there are some people in the game, like supervisors of officials and the, the head supervisor of officials at the NCAA that don't agree with, with that. They, they think everything's fine. And, uh, and, and they would say, Hey, there's a difference between legal physicality and, uh, and illegal physicality. And, you know, I agree with that. There are some some physical things that are legal that go on in, in basketball that are just deemed incidental contact. But if we're not concerned about the physicality of the game, why why does the NCAA supervisor start everything he does publicly by saying, you know, officials are encouraged to reduce physicality to create freedom of movement? I mean, we keep saying that. And if everything's OK, if you know, why do we need to keep saying that if we've reached, you know, reached the pinnacle? Um, we haven't. We, we've actually moved backwards. 
But if that's the way the powers that be want it, then they've got it. And uh, but but I think we could devolve into the in the very near future of being exactly where we were seven years ago. And one 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 last thing. Let me give you this stat, though. Sure. So in the in the elite eight, only two of the eight teams reached 70 points and four of the eight did not score over over 50. They were 50 or below. Including one game that was that, that was fifty to forty four, and now now the the a simple mind would say, hey, well, got to make shots. Well, I get that 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 may be true for one game, but when you've got when you've got only you know only two of those teams, those eight teams, which are supposed to be the best in the country, reaching seventy points, it's an indicator, and and we had the lowest scoring Sweet Sixteen since two thousand fifteen which just happens to be seven years ago. So, so those are indicators. They're not dispositive of the issue. It doesn't mean that, that what I'm talking about makes me exactly right. I think I am, but, but there's certainly indicators. And, I, and I'd like to hear a good explanation as to why, other than, well, got to make shots. Yeah, yeah. Or, or there's always the fan that says, well, just, just let them play. I didn't come here to watch the officials blow the whistle, but players adjust to the calls on the court. So if you clean it up, players will play cleaner, which will provide more offense, which is a more palatable game to your average fan. Wouldn't you think so? Well, that, that's a that's a great point because I'm the same. I don't want to watch, watch the officials blow their whistles, but I also don't want to watch players foul. And what we have now is a ton of fouls that are being uncalled. And, you know, no, I don't, I, I can't imagine there'd be a reasonable person that would say, the official shouldn't blow the whistle when the player only steps out of bounds by a little bit. Like we don't want to watch, we don't want to watch play officials calling out of bounds calls. So if they only step out a little bit, if they step out a lot, then call it. You don't hear anybody say that. What they say is quit stepping out of bounds. The player has to know where they are in the court. You know, that, that's one of the things people in my job all the time say, well, you got to know where you are in the court. You got to have that court awareness, you know, all that stuff. So we blame the player for that. You got to blame them for fouling too. And, and look, I, I get, I get a lot of, you know, pushback from officials. They do not like being criticized. And I get that, but, but, you know, they didn't hear criticism for the last five or six years on freedom of movement calls when they made them because they were right, but they're hearing it now because they're not calling them. And look, some, some officials do, and some games are beautifully called. Some games are horrible and some games are in the middle. But but by and large, we are not calling those. Uh, and again, it's ge- a generality, but we're not calling the game like we did three years ago. Now, uh, but I need to tell you, the super the the NCAA supervisor of officials does not agree with me on that. He thinks these games are being called exactly right. They get ninety six percent of their calls right, ninety percent when no calls are factored in. I dispute those numbers, but, but he thinks I'm wrong. And, uh, and, and so I, the, the, the opposing view needs to get in there. So, so, you know, give him a, you ought to give him a call because I, I watched that Baylor North Carolina game in the NCAA tournament. And if they got 96% of those calls, right. Then, then we're, we're playing football, not basketball. Yeah. That one was hard to watch. And there were, there were too many missed calls to, uh, to count. I, I, I'm the first one to praise officials when they do a good job. Uh, it was definitely spotty in, in that game. Jay Billis, our guest here on JC and Morgan. Uh, I, I'd be remiss if we didn't talk about some things outside of the sport, because I know you're very passionate on these subjects. NIL is a huge deal, not just in basketball, 
but another one of the sports that a lot of our listeners tune in for, and that is college football. I, I You have been, I would dare say, at the forefront of what college athletes should be getting as opposed to what they have been getting in terms of a full scholarship. So what do you love about NIL? What do you see as things that certainly need to be worked on moving forward? Well, I don't love anything about NIL. It's just, you know, I, I like people having uh, rights, economic rights. And uh, I have them, you have them, every coach has them, every non-athlete student in the, in the country has them. Every non-athlete student has full economic rights, whether they get a scholarship or not. And, and as you probably know, more non-athletes get scholarships from colleges than athletes do. Uh, but, but our society makes it seem like unless you're an athlete, you know, athletes are the only ones that get full scholarships, which is total nonsense. But, um, you know, so I, I mean, I think it's better than it used to be because now we're not policing what car an athlete is driving or where did you get that? How could you afford that watch? Um, and they can do commercials and the world's still on its axis and all this stuff. The NCAA has told us all these years is that if you accept anything, you are a professional and, uh, and, um, and people will no longer watch people watch because it's amateur students playing sports. And that's, that's why this is popular. That was a lie. It's always been a lie. We always knew it was a lie. And now it's been because they've been forced into allowing this. It's been exposed as a lie. Mm-hmm. Nobody cares. And, uh, the, the, the thing that is becoming now the coaches don't like it because, um, they feel they've lost an element of control. And I understand that. Um, but you know, to me, it's just the next step toward players having full economic rights and, and being, being under contract. I think they will be. And as soon as they can sign contracts with their universities, we'll eliminate a lot of these retention issues that, that people are worried about with transfers. We'll eliminate a lot of these issues that they're worried about. Like Dabo Sweeney, who I, I respect greatly said the other day, you know, this is bleeding into recruiting. And part of me is like, well, duh. But nobody ever worried about facility spending bleeding into recruiting or, or all these other things that schools are doing in order to attract players to their schools. Um, it's, all, it's all part of recruiting. And, uh, and you, know, you can't expect these players to work in this multi-billion dollar business, multi-billion dollar entertainment industry, and just accept their expenses only when everyone else is getting paid. It's just impossible for that to continue. I'm with you on all of that, and I and I've never had a problem with athletes getting extra compensation. We know the money is certainly different from when you played versus today, right? I mean, hundreds of millions of dollars in TV revenue alone. I, I think the bigger concern and what I hear from fans is not like, "Hey, I'm against this kid getting money. A scholarship ought to be enough." It's okay. Where are the parameters? Are we just going to see the richest schools with the richest boosters? Some might say we're already there. Uh, that are able now to collect the most players. And people talk about Texas A and M and the last football recruiting class. We know some of the basketball programs that have in, inherent advantages that will only be more so with NIL. Do you want to see anything in place to kind of legislate that, or just kind of leave it the way it is? There's no way to legislate it. Uh, but first, you know, some people say we're already there. We are already there, and we've mm-hmm. been there for decades. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, all the top players go to Power Five schools. You may have an exception here or there, but the exception is usually a top player that goes to play for his dad, uh, who may be at a, a smaller school. Otherwise, all the top players in football and basketball go to the Power Five programs that have the biggest TV contrast 
contracts, the most exposure, the best facilities, and the best opportunity for a player to develop and go on to the next level. And, and look, I don't know when players made decisions based on academics first and then athletics second, but if you look at facility spending, uh, the schools clearly don't believe they're deciding on academics first. You know, they're building these things and have been to attract these players. It's a wholly inefficient way to go about it. Um, you know, they're not doing that for coaches saying, hey, let's build them really nice offices and we'll give them their own parking spot and, and all that stuff. They're, they're paying them. And then doing that, you know, because of the facilities they build for the, the players. So I don't think we need any sort of parameters. The only way for, for college, aside from collectively bargaining with the players, which they don't want to do, the only way for them to regulate all this is just limit the number the numbers you can have on a roster. Um, it's not that hard. So, so limit if you want to spread talent around, which they really don't want to do, you know, they, they don't want to f- spread talent around because they, you can tell they don't want to spread money around. They're not doing that. Um, and we're likely to see, in fact, because of that, we're likely to see the Power Five conferences split off at some point because they don't want to share the, their money with, you know, 356 basketball institutions, 100, you know, they, they want to do it the way they're doing it in football. Why should they pay for Division Two, II, Division Three, and, and all these lower Division One programs? Um, they're not going to do that in the future. And, uh, and so I think sooner rather than later, you may see some movement there and it may spur Congress to step in, which is what the NCAA wants right now. The, this was a landmark year, uh, when you have a, an icon of the sport, a guy, who you know, very well, and coach K finally hang it up after what, 42 years at one particular uh, place. Do you think with all the things that a coach now has to deal with? with the portal, with NIL, with everything else, maybe that's the last we see of that. Like we're not going to see a head coach that long at one spot. For one, the money's greater, so they can retire sooner. We all know that. But but maybe it just gets to the point where it's like, you know what? I don't know if I really signed up for all this. I, 10 years and then I'm, I'm done dealing with all the, the other headaches off the court. Do you think that Coach K and some of the other guys out there now – are the last of a generation that we're not going to see again because of some of the external things that are involved with coaching? I don't think it's the external things involved with coaching. I think we're not going to see it again because guys that young aren't going to get those jobs. Um, Those jobs are such big deals now. And there's so much money uh, in the game that you're going to have, you're going to have coaches that are going to get their opportunities when they're, they're closer to 50 years old. Um, to have their really big break, 45, 50, stuff like that. Uh, you're not going to see, you're not going to see a 34 year old guy, um, get the job at, at the university of North Carolina. I mean, they just hired a 50 year old, you know, they hired Hubert Davis, Hubert's over 50. And, uh, and that was his first head coaching job. Um, so you're not going to see it there. And I, I don't mean to be dismissive of sort of the, uh, you know, the things that coaches talk about, about the difficulties in their job. Um, because, you know, I, I mean, I hate to say this, but coaching isn't a real job. Um, I've had a real job and, uh, and it's not a real job. There are difficulties to it. And it's certainly, there are more difficulties with regard to the transfer portal. You know, you got to be more on top of your roster, uh, than you had to be in years past. And, and you have to be a little more attuned to what the players are going through than you used to. Um, it used to be, you used to be able to say my way or the highway. But now players are taking the highway. 
So, so when you, you know, when you said my way or the highway back in the day, you thought they weren't going to leave. Now, if you say my way or the highway, they know where the highway is mm-hmm. and they're getting on it. Um, so, but I, I don't, I don't have a whole lot of sympathy for this is such a difficult job. Uh, there are a lot more difficult jobs out there. Uh, but, but we're not going to see guys going 40 years in a job simply because they're not going to get the job young enough, uh, in order to go that long. Uh, they're being paid too much. It's too difficult of a, um, you know, it's, it's too big of an industry to see them taking chances on like that, like Duke did with coach K or, you know, Jim Beheim getting the job in the 1970s at Syracuse and still being there. Uh, it's hard to fathom that, that, that would happen now. Yeah, different different day and age. Um, leave you on this, Jay, because I, I, it seems like every interview, it's it's constitutionally mandated. We have to give you one NCAA question, right? Because I know it's your favorite subject, to those four magical letters. We've already seen this in football for a while, where the NCAA has virtually no power. I mean, we had a season during COVID, not because of the NCAA, because conference commissioners decided that's how we're going to do it. Conference commissioners decide how the money's divvied up. Conference commissioners decide all kinds of rules and, and regulations. The one thing the NCAA has had kind of autonomy over has been basketball, but now it just seems like more and more Mark Emmert is, is like the emperor with no clothes. Does the NCAA even serve a purpose anymore? What is the future of that organization? Are we ever going to have a czar of college basketball, college football? Where, where are we headed in that direction in your estimation? I think I think the NCAA has been diminished to the point that it's it's um, important to ask the question whether it has any real value going forward. Uh, it, right now, the NCAA is on Capitol Hill, uh, not not right this second, but they're on Capitol Hill trying to get uh, Congress to give them an antitrust exemption so they can limit, continue to limit what they provide to players. And the NCAA and Mark Emmert are held in such low esteem on Capitol Hill that that's a non-starter. I mean, the, the only the only chance the NCAA has to get something is if the Power Five conferences do something drastic. And so, to me, it's an important question as to whether there's a role for the NCAA going forward. Uh, what 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 I see happening is is the Power Five and maybe maybe if you want to call it Power Six breaking away and forming their own basketball tournament and taking everything away from the NCAA and just bleed it to death. Uh, and that way they can do whatever they want. I mean, you know, as you pointed out, there's one source of funding for the NCAA right now, the NCAA office in Indianapolis and the entire power structure. And that's the men's basketball tournament. And we've seen that, that clearly while uh, the administrators within the, the, the NCAA office and in, in conference offices, while they talk about gender equity, they clearly don't know what it means because we don't have it. And the idea that all of these sports have been sold in a package to prop up the men's basketball tournament, um, I can't imagine that that was the right thing to do, but, but who knows? Um, we're gonna see it different in the future. And if it were up to me, um, I, would, I would take this opportunity to reimagine what the association should look like and reimagine, like, I think, I think we need to have a, uh, an upper tier uh, or a different division where all the big shots play and those that want to run multi-billion dollar entertainment um, uh, businesses off their campuses, they can be in that tier. And then everybody else in division, you know, lower division one, division two, they can have their own rules and their own setup um, because that's where this is headed. Not everybody is going to be able to compete with Alabama in football or, 
North Carolina or Duke or whatever in, in basketball. We're going to have to have a separate level where all the best players want to play, which means it's going to be a lot easier to have rosters on that level because there'll be more players spread out over fewer units. So it'll it'll take care of a lot of the issues that that we're facing with retention and transfers and all that stuff. But but I think that's where we're headed. Uh, but who knows? It could take a while to get there. You know, multi billion dollar businesses don't don't just fold up uh, when they have to pay their employees. They'll figure this out and they'll figure it out in a hurry because nobody is going to stop pay, uh, playing high level college sports. They're just not. And we know the NCAA does everything at a glacial pace uh, by history, right? And we also know, to use a basketball metaphor, the last time they went to the Supreme Court, they just got dunked on about as much as you could possibly get dunked on in a case. Uh, Jay, can't thank you enough. I, like I said, um, been a longtime fan of your work, not just as an analyst, but just your your perspective on all this. You're one of the best in the business, have been for a long time. I hope our uh, paths will cross in person next time. I really appreciate the time. Look forward to it, Mike. Thanks for having me. And, and, and in, when in doubt, if there's any doubt, it's not a charge. It's a block, right? You're damn right. <laughs> Anything... If it is not, if it is not obvious, a hundred percent, it's the block. It's not that hard. I'm with you. I'm with you. Amen to that. Jay, thank you so much. and really appreciate the time. Thank you. Uh, thanks again to uh, Jay Billis for uh, joining us uh, again. I, I, I mean what I say, and I don't agree with Jay on everything. And, and I've expressed that uh, in the past. I, just because you are insanely bright and he is, and uh, insanely um, uh, opinionated. And I think with, with every opinion comes with, it, it, it's an educated opinion. It's not just a hot take. Jay's not a hot take guy in an industry that unfortunately has, be, has become very hot take oriented. Excuse me there. My mic is playing tricks on me. But, hot, hot takes um, and sausage, man. <laughs> you know, it, it, you're right about that. Yeah, it just you know, there, there's a lot of but but everything he says, it, it truly means it comes from, uh, again, a very educated point of view. He's got a unique perspective. And more often than not, I do agree with Jay on, on all the issues uh, outside in, in terms of uh, an analyst. Again, he's you know, they, they don't get uh, any better. So he was kind enough. He's actually he did that in his, in his car because he's in the middle of uh number of different things. So really thank him for the time. We're, we're still efforting a couple of uh, other guests, including Greg Sankey. We, we've just missed on a couple of dates on the calendar there, but uh, definitely hope to have the commissioner on here uh, uh, soon, sooner rather than later. Uh, JC, you and I haven't had a chance to catch up too, mad, too much on what's been going on in college football. Not a ton of news, but we have spring games. I just did one in Kentucky on Saturday, the coldest spring game I've ever done on record. Mm -hmm. Uh, About half of the ones in the SEC and ACC took place this past weekend. We got another half, including, uh, I I know one you'll be covering closely in South Carolina. You've got uh, Florida about to to do their spring football. I believe they're on a Thursday night, right? Are they tonight? Oh, no, South Carolina's Saturday night. No, I'm talking about Florida now. Is Florida on uh, Thursday night? They they uh, might I'm be on a Thursday. Thinking night. maybe, yeah, because they have a big uh, bunch of recruits coming in uh, today. So that's right. yeah, that would make I, sense. I know, yeah, because Lauren Sisler, the sideline reporter that we had in Kentucky, I saw her post on uh, social media that she's already at Steve Spurrier's restaurant. I guess they took out the crew to uh, to his restaurant over there in, in Gainesville. So I think they might have a Thursday night game, and then the rest of them. 
will be played uh, this Saturday, which works out well because the weather is supposed to be much better across the Southeast uh, uh, this coming weekend. My thoughts are always the same on spring games. I don't ever look at statistics and we all know nobody cares who wins, whether it's the blue and white, the orange and blue, the garnet and black, the, uh, you know, the, I guess for the a day game, uh, what would it be? Would it be, uh, I'm mixing up. I don't want to screw up my colors cause I'm going to hear about it on Twitter, but anyway, <laughs> you get the idea. The score yeah. doesn't matter. The stats don't matter. What does matter are, are some of the plays. Uh, so for example, like in my game, they went ones versus ones, two versus twos. When I had Mississippi state a year ago, Mike Leach for some reason did ones and twos together versus ones and twos. So everybody got thrown a curveball, and they thought that the backup quarterback looked better. And I was saying, well, no, it's still it's still going to be Rodgers, but but he was playing behind an offensive line that you had three guys that weren't even starters. You didn't have some of the top receivers out there, so he didn't look that good. But when you go ones versus ones and two versus twos, for example, like most teams do, I watched Will Levis and I watched him look like an NFL quarterback. And, and there's very few teams this year in the SEC that truly have an NFL quarterback. You know, you've got a Heisman Trophy winner at Alabama. And you've got Will Levis at Kentucky. And then you've got a lot of guys that are either good college quarterbacks or unproven college quarterbacks that we're going to see this year in the SEC. I don't think it's going to be a banner year for quarterback play in the SEC compared to what it was, say, a year ago. So I think that uh, that's the first thing I look for, JC. How do the quarterbacks look, right? Oh, yeah. Uh, and, then you start, and then you start deconstructing the positional battles, whether it's running back, wide receiver, defensive end. You want to see a guy in the secondary make some plays. It's really hard for a pass rusher to make a name for himself in a spring game because you can't hit anybody. I mean, you can't go out there and tee off on the quarterback. You're not going to run an exotic blitz. Uh, and so line play sometimes can be hard to really gauge. But as you get ready to put your uh, eye in front of the – uh, uh, I was going to say, well, uh, the, 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 the microscope. microscope, microscope. Yeah. Yeah. We put an eye in front of the mic. I, I keep thinking of naked gun. When he, when he uh, ah. <laughs> Try your open eye, Frank. Yeah, um, when you, when you put it on the microscope, uh, what are you looking for as you take in a spring game and get ready to break it down? It's hard, uh, you know, and, and I think obviously fans, you know, I think that I've evolved with, with how I've felt about the spring game since, you know, before I got in the business and I was just sort of a fan to, to now, you know, you always kind of look and see, well, how do they look? You know, do they, do they go up and do the offense look good, the defense look good, whatever. But, but that's not really how you – I mean, I've seen spring games where a team's offense just look awful. And then they get in the, the, the season and they're top ten offense nationally and going up and down the field against everybody. Uh, I've seen defenses especially get just destroyed uh, in spring games by the offense uh, on their team. And uh, then they get to the season and, and they're giving up like, you know, one yard per play uh, because, you know, little did, little do we know all the time in the spring game that, you know, the defensive coaches have been told no stunts, no blitzes, no twists, just play base, which is basically not how you play defense all the time <laughs> in college football. Right. Uh, and, and so it's just a man on man kind of kind of deal. And that certainly favors the offense, you know, when, when it's when it's just when you when you can't when the offense can do things to deceive you on defense and you can't do anything to deceive them. You know, it, it, it's kind of an unfair advantage. But, uh, 
you know, I, I, I like watching quarterbacks. I, I think that, you know, again, you know, it, it's not a tell all uh, in terms of stats. You know, if a guy goes 23 for 24 in a spring game, uh, as opposed to maybe 12 for 24, uh, depending on how that looks and who was in at the time uh, with the incompletions, you, you know, you're not going to be able to tell a whole lot. Uh, I do think, though, you know, when you have a quarterback battle, um, that matters. I mean, because that's competition. You know, that's that's one guy. That's two guys trying to win the job. Uh, so, uh, you know, that could be intriguing, but that doesn't happen everywhere. And around the SEC, there's there's plenty of returning starters. But um, you know, uh, so, so South Carolina this weekend, they're gonna uh, they're gonna revert back when Muschamp was there, and then last year under Beamer, they they did ones versus twos, ones versus ones, that kind of thing. Uh, they're going back to the Steve Spurrier way because Steve Spurrier liked to make it like a real game, you know, let's do a real mm-hmm. game, you know, and, yeah, and, and a draft. So two evenly matched teams, you know, to play. Um, and they're having it at night, which is a different thing for South Carolina. So, so that'll be good. But, uh, you know, and, and so, so there in particular, I'm looking at Spencer Rattler. Um, you know, I, I think like in the case of a Georgia spring game, uh, you're looking because everybody continues to have Stetson Bennett on the hot seat, you know, and everybody keeps trying to want to bench the guy. I mean, uh, you look and see, is there anybody worth the crap behind him? And there is. There's a lot of talent at Georgia uh, at quarterback. But, um, you know, you're looking there. Uh, you know, Alabama, very intrigued by Jameer Gibbs, the transfer running back from Georgia Tech. I think that guy uh, is really something else, you know. Um, and yeah, just little things like that. I, I'm very interested to watch Florida spring games because I, I, I look at the offenses, Mike, that have been successful in the swamp over the years, uh, in games with, you know, Steve Spurriers and Urban Myers, basically, <laughs> uh, and Dan Mullins, you know, uh, which is Urban Myers offense. But so there's really two systems that have worked there. I like Billy Napier's offense. He ran at Louisiana Lafayette. I think it's a good fit for the the personnel there like Richardson and, and then Miller, the kid they got from Ohio state at quarterback. Um, but it's not the type of high flying high wire act that, uh, that, that, the Gators are used to, you know, uh, with, with Mullen or Spurry or, or Meyer, you know, so I'm curious to see how that translate and what exactly that system looks like. And they're probably not going to, Napier's probably not going to show a whole lot, uh, but uh, it's going to be interesting to see sort of Florida's reaction to it. Uh, and, you know, Napier, like like Dan Mullen and like Steve Spurrier, he calls his own ball play. So uh, you got a, a head coach calling ball plays down there again, and that certainly can endear the Gator Nation a bit. But that, that's one thing I'm looking for with Florida. Yeah, and the, and the question there becomes with, you know, Richardson. Again, you got you got Bryce Young at Alabama. you got Levis at Kentucky. You've got Hooker uh, at Tennessee. You mentioned obviously uh, uh, Daniels at at Georgia. Who excuse me, Daniels? Daniels just transferred. We'll get to that later. Stetson, Stetson Bennett, Bennett. The fourth. Yes, the Stetson Bennett the fourth, um, who is not going to lose his starting job in all likelihood. And no matter how often people try to tell you he's uh, not a competent quarterback, um, but you, you've got a lot of unknown. You got you you lose. Uh, some really established guys that have played for a number of years. I mean, that's obviously the case at Ole Miss where you're looking at a, a potential first round draft pick in Matt Corral. Um, 
So I, I think there's going to be a lot of interesting quarterback quandaries throughout this league, and that's the thing that will be looked at the most in these spring football games. And, you know, even then it doesn't tell the whole story. You're not going to see them in much of fall ball and, and, and then go into battle. But I, I do respect the coaches that at least try to make this somewhat close to a real game. Um, you can't just you, – you can't practice afraid like uh, that you're going to be second-guessed because an injury happens in April – like most of the football injuries that you see so often now are non-contact. So you, you can't just say, well, we, we can't risk it because God forbid a, a, a guy busts up a knee or an ankle. That's going to happen at some point. Like you, you just, if you're going to go ahead and practice and practice to be ready for the start of the season in September, eventually guys are going to hit. Eventually guys are going to cut. Eventually body parts are going to get twisted, whether it's a spring game or a run of the mill practice. So uh, I, I definitely enjoy the, the teams that actually make it somewhat of at least a scrimmage, you know, at least something that resembles real football for a time and, and do it in a two hour window. Nobody needs to be there three and a half hours for a spring game. Um, but but those are some of the questions and kind of talking points, I guess, that will come out of this, both in the SEC, the ACC and everywhere in between. I, I've watched a lot of coaches shy away from making this an actual game-like uh, deal because of that, I think, paranoia. Uh, and, and so some of it has lost its entertainment. You might have noticed uh, SEC fans, just about every game with the exception of Georgia, maybe one other one, were on ESPN+. Plus, and that's twofold. That's not because fewer and fewer people are watching spring games. You might have noticed a lot of things are going digital because – Obviously, uh, whether it's ESPN Plus or somebody else, they want you to subscribe. Uh, they want you to, to spend that $8 a month or whatever. And uh, by making more things digital only, that's how you do it. Now, of course, they replay all the games on the SEC network throughout the year. But uh, it's, it's a good marketing tool for the ESPN Plus format. So many of those games that used to be on live are now uh, on live linear and they're now on live digital. And so uh, I get, I hear from that from fans all the time, like what happened? That's, that's in a nutshell, what has happened. And it's going to be more and more the norm than the exception to the rule. So I, I would kind of get used to that. Yeah. TV still rules the day, but you, you know, it's, it's a, it's more of a uh, universal content, I think. And I, and I honestly, you know, look, man, people complain, because people complain about anything these days, but I mean, it used to be you had to get in the car and go to the spring game. You know, you couldn't watch it on TV. Yes. It wasn't even on, wasn't even on the radio. You're lucky if it's on the radio, right? Uh, right. And you're lucky to get the highlights from um, the local news. Oh, I mean, so that's you, it. You're pretty fortunate that these spring games are on, and I, I think that honestly, Mike, the, the streaming is perfect for things like spring football games, uh, pro days, college baseball. I mean, you know, college hockey. Uh, college softball, which is very popular, uh, all those sports. I think I think it's huge. Women's basketball. I mean, it, you name your name your name your sport. That's not a, a money maker, and and that's great. People can watch it, and and those folks get um, you know televised exposure. Uh, you know, so I'm not too upset about it. I, I kind of uh, I kind of like it in, in the sense that you know everybody's spring game is televised, you know, so you're, you're not yeah. leaving Vanderbilt out or anybody like that uh, nope. because you're dealing with a limited amount of, you know, broadcast time as opposed to streaming. So I, I kind of like it like that. And uh, I'm just thankful that you can watch it, you know, cause I don't have to 
fly to Columbia, South Carolina this weekend. <laughs> yeah. And I, and I will tell you this as someone who's done my fair share of these with ESPN, I mean, whether it's digital or not, these are not school broadcasts. Like we, we put in a lot of resources mm-hmm. into these games. Like, so I did the game with uh, Deuce McAllister. So I had to travel from Atlanta to Kentucky. Deuce came from new Orleans Our sideline reporters in Birmingham Our producers in Indianapolis. So this is not a cost cutting measure. Uh, I, I, I'm not just saying this to, uh, you know, pat ourselves on the back, but we put, we do everything that we can, uh, to make this as real game of broadcast as you can. And the, the action on the field is the field. So like when we start off, I, Cole Kubrick and I did a Vanderbilt spring game. I don't think Derek Mason was really big on, uh, worrying about people tuning in. And this was on linear. This was before the plus app. And we had a solo window because we did it for whatever reason on a Friday night. That's the one advantage you have when you do it on a, on a night or an off day is that you're the only game in town. So a lot more eyeballs get to see you and a lot more eyeballs got to see Vanderbilt football. The first 20 to 30 minutes were long snapping drills and field goal drills. And we're just sitting there going, are you serious? Like they had an NFL quarterback. They had some, some decent players that we could have showcased and, you, you know, when we're there, when we're there to do a spring game, we're there to pump up the program. Let's be honest. I mean, it's it's free publicity. And Derek said, we're going to bore people to tears and run uh, long snap drills. Can can a kid snap it into a bucket in a trash bucket? That's I'm not making this up. That really happened. And uh, can guys pin it inside the 10? And uh, let's see if Oberkfell can hit it from 50. Like that was the spring game in front of 200 Ooh. people on a chilly Nashville night. So um, some coaches get it more than others, but, uh, but you're right. I, I think a lot of people don't have the time, the energy, the money that it costs to travel. I don't think most people charge for a spring game anymore, um, but they'd rather just watch it from home if they can. And so that's better than zero uh, options at all. So spring football is in full effect. And when they're all done, which I, I think just about everybody's done after next weekend, if I'm not mistaken, JC, I don't think there's. Um, yeah, I, I think that's it this weekend. So yeah, next weekend. Yeah. So. Okay. So nobody's going into like the last weekend of April or God forbid May. No. So at that point, at that point, you and I will start having people on from every school. Sure. Uh, yeah. And start breaking down, you know, what we're looking at. You know, we'll 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 dig into our bag of uh, of experts uh, around the southeast and maybe some other spots as well to uh, to talk about that. Are there any other stories in college football on a national scene that have stood out to you? I mean, I, I just keep hearing about NIL, 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 you know, and, and we definitely yeah. got that in with Jay. I, uh, I you know, for example, I'm just going to say, for, for example, I mean, we know about a Tennessee recruit that's about to make seven figures. Everybody knew the Bryce Young thing. I mean, people weren't ready for that. Heads exploded when they heard the dollar figure on Bryce Young. Will Levis in Kentucky has a six-figure deal with a horse farm. Only fitting, right? You play for Kentucky. You you deal with a horse farm that's produced a number of, uh, I guess, derby winners. That's paying six figures. I think we're at the point with NIL that if you're a starting quarterback that's good to really good that's the baseline you're making six figures off nil money don't you think that's that's where we're headed if we're not already there i'm not buying it yet uh i i think that 
when you look at, you know, and look great, great for the University of Tennessee, great for Josh Heupel. They got an excellent quarterback. I, I keep reading that this kid is a generational talent, though, and I think I've read that about every quarterback that's been ranked highly in the past <laughs> four or five years, and I'm wondering what the hell a generation is, you know, anymore. What does that mean? You know, what does it to people not even know what that means? Um, I think he's and a half years. I think that kid's really good, uh, and, and don't get me wrong, big time talent. Uh, I think that that particular NIL collective group uh, needs to be very careful about what they're doing uh, because they're out there blatantly talking about buying recruiting classes. Uh, and, and while, look, it, it let's be honest, you know, your, your NIL situation at your school is a selling point, but the one rule, they have one rule, basically. Don't, you can't go pay recruits. You know, you can't enti- – you can't say – if you come to our school, we're going to give you this much NIL money. You can say a player of your caliber could get this, that, or the other, uh, and see what they're doing is different. They're signing the guy and putting it in the contract that he doesn't necessarily have to come to Tennessee. Uh, so how's that going to work out if the kid changes his mind? Is he going to, you know? Right. <laughs> I mean, I, I just, I, well, it's I like the Eric Dickerson story. who got the, yeah. got the Trans Am from what A yeah. uh, and M, and then yeah. said no to A and M, but he kept the Trans Am. What are you going to do? You can't take well, it away from him. And you, you read stories. Uh, you know, the uh, SB Nation had a Bagman story uh, one year uh, where they quoted some anonymous uh, people, and, and and these guys were kind of the the, the shadowy middlemen or whatever that were giving players cash and they're like, man, we lost $40,000. This one kid just kept it because he went someplace else, but we can't say anything because we'll get in trouble. Uh, well, that's $40,000. This is what, $8 million? I, I don't know if you, you get it. All. I mean, you probably get it along and along, but holy cow. I mean, you're talking almost uh, eight figures, uh, you know, that, that you're going to be pumping out. And, 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 you know, and then you see his quotes uh, in The Athletic, uh, and the guy that keeps you know hammering this home really wants, uh, like Jay mentioned earlier, uh, professionalized college sports, and really has had some I think unfair things to say about coaches as opposed to players. He kind of paints it in a in, in a way that I don't agree with. Uh, but he he's who he's, is this guy? Jesse? Uh, uh, he, he writes for the Athletic. I don't want to say his name. <laughs> uh, Fair enough. But but he continues to. Uh, continues to, 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 to drive this point home, like, you know, the exploitation part of it and all that. And, and, and what, and that's fine. Cause a lot of people have that opinion, but what bothers me uh, is, is he's starting to like openly talk. He's like, well, that's just the market now is that five-star quarterbacks are going to go for almost eight figures. And I'm like, <laughs> what, you know, first of all, there, there's not <laughs> of, of all three, five-star of three, five, three, you got about three, five-star quarterbacks a year. Right. Uh, two of those guys are probably not going to be worth diddly poo, <laughs> you know. I mean, so you're going to pay all that money. So I that that's the part of it at, at Tennessee that uh, if I were a Tennessee fan, I'd be I'd be concerned with number one the blatant uh, sort of the living on the edge by the collective, and then number two uh, that particular writer holding them up as like uh, the example of of buying recruits because there there is there are some. Uh, damages that they could take. I mean, that, that's a school that's under investigation as it is. Uh, and and the, the, if they if they pop them doing that and they can prove it, uh, and it's hard to do, and I hope they cover their bases, that's going to be more trouble for Tennessee than some five star quarterback from California is worth, in my opinion. So when you when you I, I think you were you were uh, focused on the, the Tennessee situation because I brought that up. Sure. So when you say I'm not buying that, 
you mean specifically that situation? Because my other part of my my question there was, do you not think the going rate for a quality established starting quarterback in a league like the SEC is going to be at least six figures? Like we're not going to see an all conference quarterback not making at least a hundred grand in the SEC. Oh yeah, it's going to be now. That's a different conversation. Uh, that's, that's what I'm that, saying. That's players. That's current players, right? That that's Correct. that's guys like uh, I mean, like a like a Will Levis, like you said. Um, uh, yes, no, a Will, Will Levis. Rogers at Mississippi State. Rogers, maybe, those those guys are all six figure guys. I mean, as far as like you know, NIL collectives and paying, paying out the players and stuff, guys like that would command top dollar because that that their value is there. Because if you're the starting quarterback at an SEC school and you're good, uh, even if you're not good, you're very popular, (laughs) you know? Hmm. Uh, I mean, heck, any business would want you to to come out and, 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 and promote them. Right. I mean, you know, I, uh, if, uh, if we got uh, Stetson Bennett the fourth on this podcast to say, well, you're listening to the JC of Oregon podcast. I mean, that'd be great for us, dude. You know, yeah, it was yeah. super um, national championship winning quarterback. So sure. yeah, I, I think, I think your superstars are at least going to start getting that. And look, I don't have any problem with that. Uh, you know, I think there's something to be said for the transfer portal. And, and I hope we don't get to the day where, well, this school says I can get this big old NIL deal if I come play for them my senior year, and you abandon your teammates and stuff like that. I mean, it's free agency, I guess. But uh, I, and I hope we don't ever get to that part of that situation. But um, you know, I'm all for the the current guys, the proven guys, uh, getting what they're worth. Now, recruits, no, I think you need to earn it uh, because you're basically if you're paying out. Uh, for the next generational quarterback that comes along every single year, uh, you know, what you're telling, I think your current players too, is you're not worth this much. You know, you're, you're not worth $8 million. And I think that's BS. And that can ruin your locker room. And I think it gives guys that are coming out of high school a sense of entitlement that they've arrived. And, and you think about how many child celebrities screwed up their lives, Mike. You know why? Because they couldn't handle celebrity. <laughs> and, and you get what you talking about, Willis? Uh, yeah. I mean, you know, they, they just went. <laughs> Excuse me, I'm in battle of cold here. But I, I you know, whenever like, I whenever I bring up Todd Bridges, two people do get choked up, and Gary. Uh, Cohen, uh, 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 mm. Just don't get me started on Kimberly. Oh my God, that big, <laughs> lovely, and talented Dana Plato. We could Dana go through Plato. the whole yeah, different strokes line. But I, no, so I think I, I think this. I think I think there's going to be some football issues with this. You know, like Texas uh, paying their entire offensive line. I'm like. Uh, you know, you guys are, you guys have a, you know, y'all need to be a little tougher out there, right? You know, you, <laughs> you're about to go into SEC and you, yeah, you, you lost 57, 56 to Kansas last year. And, uh, you know, you're just very soft for, for the amount but of They talent. are, they you are, uh, this, I've been saying this for years since I first started doing Big 12 games a decade ago. And yeah. I learned real, real quick. There's big money and then there's oil money, and there uh-huh. is a difference. Uh, so when a Texas A&M, and we don't know what the dollar figure is, and that's a touchy subject with Jim oh, Fisher, yeah, as we all is. know. Uh, <laughs> but clearly, uh, unless unless everything is purely false, uh, their recruits already are lined up with NIL deals. 
that are quite lucrative. Kentucky basketball freshmen, before they play a game, uh, they this is all uh, this is legal. I'm not hinting that this is illegal. Uh, if you can just say, if I understand it correctly, JC, if you can just say, hey, I want to play for school X, nothing guaranteed before I sign on the dotted line. But then after I sign on the dotted line, what do you know? My NIL value is pretty good. It's a six figure NIL value. And even though I'm a freshman and haven't done much, I just wound up with a hundred grand in my pocket. Some schools can and will do that if it is permitted. And right now, if I'm reading the tea leaves correctly, it is permitted. Like nothing's going to happen to stop it. Oh yeah. I mean, it, it, it's, it's, there's nothing, uh, you, you know, once you get the, once you sign, there's nothing to stop uh, anybody now. And, and I also think this, I think there's a difference between football and basketball in this situation, because I think when you look at the sport of basketball, Mike, all your top guys coming out of high school are, are 18 months away in most cases. And I'm talking your top 10 players of being multi-millionaires. Uh, just with the way the NBA contracts are and the way, you know, you get paid in that sport. I mean, football, you have to earn your contract every year. Basketball, it's all guaranteed. Uh, and that's why you have more people uh, around top basketball players that are, I don't want to call them hangers on, but they have, they have more of an entourage because, you know, football, it's going to take three, four, five years. Basketball, you know, you're, you're rocking and rolling in a year. So, uh uh, I think that those guys uh, individually probably demand more value, uh, you know, on that in that sport than a football player who's going to have to, you know, develop and may or may not work out. Who has like a wider delta, you know, his the, the, when I say delta, that means you, you can go this way, this way, this way, or you go that way, that way, that way, or you go straight right. ahead. I mean, you know, it's it's more of a crapshoot in that sport. You're, so, you're that's a great point. I I would just also add that. For most schools, football is the cash cow, right? Mm -hmm. So, I mean, that's – so the people that are ponying up this money, they don't necessarily – like, they know it's a gamble that they're actually going to get the money back in return. So, I've I've pointed this out all along, and people say this is the true market value. This is not true market value. (laughs) These are people that if they put in a half a million dollars, they don't necessarily – demand to get a half a million dollars back, you know, worth of name, image, likeness, exposures, mm. impressions on Instagram and Twitter. And if, if you've got a, a gung-ho booster who happens to own a business, he'll gladly take that loss if it means he gets the five-star defensive tackle uh, out of Houston. So that that is where when I hear true market value, Again, I'm not even criticizing this thing anymore. I'm almost at the point where I'm just like raising my hands, kind of like the NCAA has done again. You know what? You want it? You got it. Just don't call it true market value. This is these. This is the dollar figure that these particular boosters who happen to have a business are willing to pay to land recruits. And I understand you can't put it in the in the legal document. You know, the letter of intent, you can't put, and by signing this, you now get a hundred grand to play here. But we all know how you can work around that. 
And now let's say, let's say it's, so it's, it's, it's non-binding, right? Like it's a tacit agreement that once you get here, after you sign, I'm going to give you a hundred grand. Let's just even say the business says, you know what? We changed our mind. We want to give it to somebody else. Well, that kid now can transfer with no penalty anyway. So you better make true good on your promise because if not, you're going to lose the kid right away. It's no, it's no longer where he's really got to think twice about staying because he doesn't want to sit out a year. So really what you have is you can phrase it however you want to phrase it, but in a lot of ways, it's nothing more than pay for play. Absolutely. I mean, it is what it is. It's just, you have to be, I think you have to be careful with some of the valuations and recruiting, but it, it absolutely ends up being pay for play because you don't, and look, man, there's some guy, I mean, it's not all, from what I've seen around, and this is why women's basketball is now is making more money collectively as a sport with NIL deals than men's right now, believe it or not. And in the NCAA, the girls are bringing in more than the guys, believe it or not. Um, and, uh, you know, they do things like clothing deals. Like they'll have their own – a lot of some of the players at uh, – South Carolina and Clemson have their own clothing lines and you can sell those to fans and fans will go buy them, buy them up. You know, I mean, you know, I don't know what somebody's going to do with a hundred Spencer Rattler uh, sweatshirts, but you know, Hey, that's, that's part of it. You know, uh, you know, let's get a, some Texas fans probably bought up, you know, a bunch of Quinn Ewers or Ewers uh, jerseys already. You know, I'll, I'll take a thousand of them. Let's just shut down uh, well number uh well, number three and sell it and just give all that to him too, <laughs> you know? <laughs> uh, but, uh, you know, he, I mean, that, and I think that's great. I mean, that that's like beyond, that's one of the, with all the negativity about this situation, I'm like, I think that's one of the greatest things ever because a lot of these kids now are learning to be entrepreneurs. Uh, and that's a, that's a skill that quite frankly, not a lot of people in college get taught anymore. You know, I mean, you no. know some of these people coming I, out of college, you know, you just don't. You I, I used to play, uh, I used to play pickup basketball with a former college athlete. Uh, and he said, we were talking about the fact that a lot of these kids, when they graduate college or, or don't graduate, whatever the case may be, they wind up broke. Like they really, they just don't know what to do and they don't have any um, financial prowess because they've been kind of spoon fed their entire lives. He said, I, I would make every college athlete take a, a personal finance course. Like if you're not going to learn anything else, you know, when you're taking your sociology classes, which will, will benefit you zero in the real world uh, when you're taking your psych classes, which will probably never come into play. Um, at least learn how personal finance works. Well, this is almost like a personal finance type yeah. situation, you know, because you're learning on, it's still a little bit distorted because as I mentioned, it's not true supply and demand, but you're learning how business can work and you're learning uh, how to, to, to get that money in. And they do have people, all these schools now basically have to hire an NIL czar, which that works on the front end and the back end. It's A, to help you collect the money, but B, also how to help you spend it uh, if, if the schools are really doing their job uh, properly. So you don't just take that hundred grand and buy a $90,000 sports car. 
And then before you know it, you've basically used up all of it. Uh, some kids are going to do that, but you, you're hopefully being advised to be a little bit wiser uh, with your coin than that. So, yeah, there's a lot of good things that can come out of it. That's why I've never been overtly critical of the essence of it. I just I always knew could see this coming from a mile away. What was on the other end of that tunnel once the train came through? And that is there was going to be rampant pay for play mm -hmm. uh, and you've got no no one or nothing to really stop it or legislate it at this moment in time. Yeah, and I, and I think, too, and, and, and I think the bottom line on this is in basketball, the, the schools that want to be great at basketball are going to be great at basketball. Uh, you know, I, and I'm just going to say that because mm -hmm. there are schools that, that are football schools and they're going to put more money towards football, you know, just uh, but those that want to be good at basketball are going to, you know, either pay up, you know, and I'm talking about their donors and boosters and fans and, uh, you know, pr produce some opportunities for basketball players or those basketball players are going to go someplace else. Uh, football. Right. I, I tell you, Mike, you know, I, I'm, I'm really curious to see, I, and I think Texas A&M is the first first up at bat here in the next two or three years. With, with that. I mean, their recruiting class was unbelievable. I mean, they, they signed more five stars than the whole uh, ACC combined, I think, or some some kind of crazy stat like that. Uh, what's it going to turn into down the road, and what, what are those individual players that you know commanded high-dollar NIL deals uh, out of that? What are they going to be like in two or three years? And then that's going to answer the question for me. Uh, just because you look at the draft, draft's coming up. We all know that. Uh, yes, there are a bunch of five stars that they get drafted in the first round are great players, but then there's an equal number of three stars. Uh, and then you got a lot of five stars that don't get drafted. So, uh, and that's just the nature of the sport because you have first round busts too. I mean, it's just, as you go up a level in football, sometimes you just don't want any anymore, you know, because it's so dependent on mental toughness and courage and discipline and, and all those things. Cause it's a hard sports collision sport and you're sitting there getting your bell rung and it's even worse than it was. Uh, sometimes there's a fair amount of guys, no matter how talented they are, they just don't want any, it's just done. That's it. That's as far as I'm going to go. Uh, and so I'm very, very curious to see uh, how that money impacts uh, some of these guys developmentally, and will they just say, "Hey, I've got a million bucks in the bank. I was a high school football star. I'm tired of putting my body through this. Uh, I've got a degree now, or I'm I'm I'm, I'm able to pay for school now if I want. I, I'm done. Think about that. Yeah, that's interesting. Uh, not to mention what you've talked about before, and we asked Jay about, and that is coaches deciding after you know, five, six years of putting up with all the things that you now have to put. But I'll tell you this, when we sat down with Mark Stoops, uh, he looked exhausted. And we were like, is, is spring ball been that taxing? You know, the 15 practices. And he said, it's, it's not the on the field stuff. It's the off the field stuff. He said, we don't have time off anymore. We simply do not have time off anymore. And, what, and part of what he's talking about is, A, making sure – other teams don't poach your players, right? So you have to recruit the guys you already recruited. And then you have to look at the portal and then you have to uh, kind of play traffic cop with NIL and everything else. It's a different deal. I get it. Coaches make a lot of money. No one's going to feel sorry for them, but it's no longer just about coaching ball. It's not just the guy with the clipboard and the whistle around his neck. And it, it's just, that is a dinosaur 
compared to what you have to do today. That is why Kirby Smart is where he is. Is Kirby Smart the best defensive coordinator, head coach of all time? No, it's good. Learned a lot under Nick Saban. Uh, Kirby knows the game, uh, which which kind of segues perfectly into our final thing. And I kind of teased it on accident earlier. And that is JT Daniels moving on to West Virginia. I don't have a lot of things to say about this. I mean, good luck to West Virginia. They've had uh, success with other transfer quarterbacks in, in the past. But it just made me think about there are already two Kirby Georgia quarterbacks in the NFL who didn't start for Georgia, right? Uh, the last one, of course, is now starting with the Bears and Justin Fields. Um, and, and who knows, JT Daniels in time lighted up one year in the, in the Big 12 at West Virginia, and he could wind up in the National Football League. That would be three NFL quarterbacks that didn't that couldn't hold the job at Georgia that are in the NFL, that's what we call an embarrassment of riches. And that is that is where we are in college football, right? I mean, it is just you got a handful of, problem, of, of programs that are problems for everybody else because we, we just can't, we can't get to that level. If you're all these other schools, you're looking up and you're like, how in the hell do we catch them? And these are programs that also know how to excel in NIL. So it, it just yeah. got me to thinking on that front. Yeah, quarterback is a, you know, it, it's interesting. The good thing for everybody else about quarterbacks is let Georgia sign five or six. Let Ohio State, my gosh, you know, last year, uh, look at their quarterback room. And then two or three of those guys are going to transfer. They're going to go start elsewhere. I mean, mm-hmm. uh, look at our buddy uh, Joel Burrow. Joel you know, Burrow. Joel Joe Burrow, you know, Joe Burrow, you know, he, Ohio high school football legend got beat out uh, by the, by the way, condolences to Dwayne Haskins and his family, but uh, by the, the late Dwayne Haskins, um, you know, and it, it was just that Dwayne was better and, uh, and then he goes to LSU and, and, and see what he did. You know, you, you look at all the transfer quarterbacks Oklahoma's had. Uh, from Kyler Murray to Baker Mayfield to Jalen Hurts, uh, and uh, how outstanding they've done with it. And you know, and, and I think around the SEC this year, you're going to see uh, Jackson Dart at Ole Miss. You'll see Spencer Rattler at South Carolina. I kind of think Mike Jaden Daniels is going to win the job at LSU. Uh, the kid from Arizona State uh, who's special. Um, you know, you, you're going to see. I mean, you saw Herndon, Herndon Hooker last year at Tennessee, and, and Will Levis who's for Penn state. So mm-hmm. uh, quarterback, the, the good news for everybody else is it all comes out in the wash, you know, JT Daniels, who man, if he had not graduated early, he was going to be the number one player in the country the next year. And I, I was on board. I mean, you know, I'm very opinionated about stuff like that. I, I never called him generational, but I was on board with it. And it's just been one thing after another with his injuries and, and things like that. Uh, I think at West Virginia, you're absolutely right. Uh, he could have one big year. Graham Harrell, who was at SC, who, who runs an air raid style offense, is his offensive coordinator up there. And they're probably going to chuck it all over the yard like they did. Uh, they used mm-hmm. to do under um, what's his head that's at uh, Houston now. Uh, what's his name? The Holders. Yeah. So uh, I, uh, I'm i hopeful that, uh, that he does get there and, and things like that. And it's, um, you know, so just one of those things when you're talking about quarterbacks. I, I think the other positions, though, you can get problematic because it's it's nothing for a a, a defensive tackle to you know red shirt first year and, and get better and better and better and then you're you're talking about like Alabama level depth 
at certain schools uh, at that point. But anyway, that's uh, that's going to be a good topic for discussion this offseason, man. Uh, and in future podcasts and future installments of JC and Morgan as we wrap this one up. Uh, JC, great job as always. Stay warm in the Windy City as we finally are getting warm uh, with uh, at what seems like a never-ending winter here in the southeast and other parts <laughs> of the country. Uh, finally, <laughs> that groundhog was not lying. Like this was, it was just made to be a brutal, brutal winter. Uh, but we can uh, get ready for the rest of our lives. Yeah, it got it got to seventy. Uh, in Chicago oh. yesterday, and then it the poured down, and then it just poured down rain all night. <laughs> I was like, oh god! So nice. uh, back in the fifties today, back in the high life yeah. again today. Thanks, Steve Winwood. <laughs> <laughs> Very nice. I'm trying to think of another Steve Winwood song. I I don't have one. Nobody's got um, one. Oh, <laughs> so, hi, higher love. Oh yeah, higher love. Bring me a high. Okay, that's good. There you yeah. go. I'm gonna go jam to that. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Let's go jam the higher love. We'll end it on that note. Uh, again, our thanks to Jay Billis for joining us in the first half of this installment. When we come back uh, in a week or so, we'll start breaking down team by team as spring ball will come to a conclusion. For JC, it's Mike. Thank you for tuning in. Another installment of JC and Morgan. We'll talk to you soon.